Howdy, hey. Welcome back to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. This is episode 55, and I'm your host for today, Nick Cummings, although I don't really do a lot of hosting on this show. That's because I'm joined by these awesome, very talkative, very informative guests uh, named Tyler Martin. Sound less tired, Nick. I'm so tired. (laughs) I took my dog out at four in the morning for a half an hour impromptu walk because he wouldn't stop. And I'm also here with Doug Bonham. I can't drive 55. I just went with this. And I just ki- and I just killed the podcast with a Sammy Hagar reference. We're done. Just, just this total fatality. No survivors. Um, we're, we're exhausted because we spent, just spent the last 90 minutes talking about AAA and the state of it. And we realized this should actually be a podcast. So, um, we found ourselves in kind of an interesting talking point where it's it's November now. This is November 1st uh, as we're recording this. And uh, we're realizing that there are some big games coming out in the next couple of weeks. It's the typical November pre-Black Friday, pre-holiday rush. Uh, but looking at our big annual thing, our game of the year top 10 list that we spend an inordinate amount of time debating and refining to a point where we feel like it's representative of what actually matters every year we're not seeing anything jumping out at this point as being like this is a definitive game of 2014 like this is a representative uh high point for the year and so um that's kind of a conundrum like this feels like a very weird year from a critical standpoint so uh tyler what do you think what's what's going on from your point of view and where do you think we're actually winding up I don't know, it just feels very kind of evolutionary, not revolutionary, if I can rely on a very heavy-handed trope. Like, we've been in this kind of patterns for the past, I don't know, what would you say, like five years, or maybe even longer than that, since the first, like, quote-unquote HD consoles really came out, and they really started justifying their existence with, like, new kinds of games. Like, the games we're seeing now, like, they're just more HD versions of what we've already seen. Like, we haven't really seen something that's really wowing anybody or really pushing any genres significantly forward. Like, I mean, we've kind of seen the the first-person shooter fade into the background and the open-world game uh, become uh, more of its uh, replacement. But Mm -hmm. open-world games, they're not significantly different than what GTA has been doing before. They just have different gimmicks, or they've smoothed over a lot of the rough edges they used to have. I mean, or in I'm... in some cases, they've one series has created a, a unique gimmick, another series has created another, and other games following them have just done different combinations of different things that have come out before. Yeah, either you find your gimmick and you do you keep doing it better and better and better, or you t- take gimmicks that other people are doing and you do it in a different way. Like Shadow of Mordor with its Batman combat? Yeah, and, well, I mean, a little inside baseball, like Shadow of Mordor started as a Batman game, so it's not terribly surprising. And there's also a lot of Assassin's Creed in there. And I would not at all be surprised to see other open-world games in the future either copying wholesale the Nemesis system or doing something very much in that vein. Yeah, it's, it's oh, yeah. going to be another quiver in the arrow for open-world games. It's going to be something else that a lot of games are going to implement. Quiver in the arrow. I like that. Year and of the bow. 
without spoiling anything for anyone that's like eagerly anticipating our game of the year discussions, like Shadow of Mordor will be discussed. I can't say with any degree of certainty whether it will make our list, but it's going to come with conversation because it is doing something new. It's doing something interesting. But I yeah, it's, I think we all agree. It's all already a contentious point with us because it's also doing a lot of stuff that we've already seen. It's already yeah, he, like it's and it's doing some things that other games do better. I guess what's strange about this year is exactly that because it's not like regardless of what you think of how well the game executes on any of its points, the single reason why we all agree it needs to be discussed is because it actually did something new. Yeah, and we're really struggling this year to find. Uh, a good number of games that, that did something new. Yeah. Call to... of Duty Advanced uh, Warfare comes out next week. And yeah. I remember, like, you were a huge fan, especially, of Modern Warfare 1 and a little bit 2, right? Yeah, and I really liked Modern Warfare. I remember enjoying, especially the Treyarch games a lot, like uh, World at War and the original Black Ops. Yeah, those are fun, too. But I'm seeing a lot of people that are planning on getting Advanced Warfare, but they're all just kind of, like, crossing their fingers, like, hoping that <laughs> it justifies itself again. That it's like, don't let this be another Ghost where I'm... Even if you don't care for a Ghost campaign, by all accounts, like, the multiplayer was okay if you like Call of Duty games. If you want that yeah. Call of Duty treadmill, it made another Call of Duty treadmill for you. Yeah, so they played it very, very close to the chest, very conservative in terms of the multiplayer design, it seems like. I played uh, on a free weekend on Steam and got a sense of it there. But so there are I guess people our... that are hoping yeah. that Advanced Warfare isn't just more maps, different guns, new treadmill. Like, they want the the trappings of the Advanced Warfare, the, like, you get, like, a double jump or something. They want that to change the series for the better. They want their Titanfall in their Call of Duty, and they don't want giant robots. And I can totally understand that. I guess the bigger problem in terms of an existential crisis of what we're talking about here is it's not that Call of Duty is going to be another Call of Duty game, it's that there's nothing else bubbling up to the AAA level to be anything unique. Yeah, and, where's the contender to, contender to Call of Duty that we were all waiting for? And it's... it the Wasn't Again, it we're Destiny? talking about... Oh, let's not talk about Destiny. <laughs> we're, we're, we probably need to. Well, let's let, let me finish this point off at least. Like that's mm -hmm. again why we're talking about Shadows of Mordor getting to our list because it's trying something new, even if it's blending together a lot of very familiar feeling things. It's trying something else that's unique. And Destiny will be discussed too, but it's yeah has less much less of a certain position in our top ten because even though it does do some things new, a lot of what it does new it does not do very well. Yep. I would argue it doesn't really do anything new. I just am I'm confounded by the fact that I was compelled to play the whole thing, but <laughs> by the whole thing I mean I just get I got to level twenty with one character and that to me was okay, I can wash my hands of this thing, but like if you break it down, it's just rudimentary MMO design, rudimentary Halo shooting, which you know is nothing to sneeze at, that's some really fun shooting. And I don't I don't I guess I don't see how Again, we'll talk about this in Game of the Year, but I think you're right that Mordor has a clear-cut shot at what kind of things we tend to honor here because of that new system. I think the only reason people keep playing Destiny is because Tyrion Lannister put them all under some sort of voodoo curse to keep shooting. But it's not a good performance. Doesn't matter. It's the same sort of thing like people will talk about in the 60s and 70s. You put a record on backwards and have the devil sort of words coming out. 
That's what we're dealing with here. I don't know where you're going with this, Doug. Trying to make a joke about the reason why people are saying, oh, Destiny is, it's not good, but I keep playing it. Oh, yeah. No, it's totally mind control. <laughs> also, chemtrails and tinfoil hats. Yeah. yeah. Destiny and, like, the new Borderlands, though, like, they're a prime example of what I was talking about with open world games, where you do this thing well, I do this thing well. Like, what? I really wish there was something in the middle or someone that was taking lessons from both these series or even if both series just kind of learned from each other like i wonder if the people making destiny played a significant amount of borderlands because from all accounts it sounds like there are things that destiny does not do well that borderlands has been doing for years yes like have a plot (laughs) Ooh, if you're holding up borderlands plot as anything to aspire to you've already (laughs) Oh, this is already there's... a bad area of discussion to go into. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know that those are those are fighting words, but yeah, I, I, I actually feel like Borderlands does a much better job establishing its place and characters and scenario. That's a huge bummer. I think yeah, it is because that's not very good either. <laughs> and I think framing this discussion in terms of our game of the year, which is also as a way to say what's been happening in this this year in games, like if you look at years past, we've had games that have been strong contenders. If you look at our list on our website, siliconsasquatch.com, you'll see our we have a listing of each of the Game of the Year winners and top ten lists. And in pretty much every one of those years, our own backstage sort of discussion in politics, like everybody's come in saying, yeah, this game is good, or these two games are going to be at the top, or these three games are going to be at the top. We, we've been talking since the summertime, really, as as, you know, behind the scenes. We got a lot of games that would come in at number six or number five on the list, but nothing's really stood out to become a number one or number two. Even Aaron, who's probably our most certain uh, Destiny supporter or fan, has gone on saying, like, I'd be comfortable with this game at number ten. Yeah, that is and not that's the way you champion even... a game. That is, when yeah. we have our game of year discussion, you have to go in ready to fight for your. This is a guy who was pushing for a link between worlds for number one, so yeah, <laughs> which is a like, fine game. But if 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 he's coming, in like like Tyler's saying, game of the game of the year discussion is bloodsport. Like you come in and you go hard and you oh, give yeah, it's everything. Fucking out. Kumite. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and if you're, saying, I pretty much walked up to the dance last year saying, "Fuck all y'all, it's tearaway." <laughs> and you got it to number five. God, I love. Tear I was away. I was lucky to get it to number five. We, yeah. we we put Stanley Parable at number four because we were afraid of what Spencer would do otherwise. Yeah, we were afraid yeah. of what Spencer would do to himself otherwise. Either case, like this, and and you know we 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 almost had fist fights. We almost came to fisticuffs talking over the internet, which is a sad sight. Well, in 2010, we had three of us in the same room, so that would have been bad. But the year 2010, when we had Red Dead Redemption, Minecraft, and Mass Effect Two as a three-way tie. And it took yeah. it took a fucking devil's bargain between the console half of things to to keep Minecraft from number one. That's still something we don't want to talk about. The Starbelly bloggers day. asserting their influence. This uh-huh. is something we don't bring up. This is you know, do not mention this, otherwise the pieces will be, will be broken again. Hey, Minecraft should have won that year. Is my stand. Um, so nobody really won except for Aaron, who got to make that choice. Yeah, because Tyler and I were pushing for Mass Effect two. Spencer and Nick were pushing for Minecraft, and Tyler and I decided better the devil we know and went with Red Dead Redemption to keep Minecraft for number one. Wasn't it also that Minecraft technically hadn't come out yet? 
It was still an alpha, and I believe I, I I'm not sure what state it's in right now. Nick, it's it's it has, it's had final release for years now. Yeah, it was final release in 2011, I think, the year after. So, um, <laughs> I remember you jokingly put that in the list again that year, and I was like, "Oh, you motherfucker!" <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> it goes on our list every year as a as a hey, we should discuss this, but not this year. But maybe so so that's the framework with which Aaron come coming in like eh, maybe number ten for Destiny makes things just sound really weak. That was yeah. kind of a banner year, though. Like, I think that year was a big turning point. Now, it was the first year that our list wasn't, like, a list of basically AAA-developed games. Like, it was it was also the first year that, like, a minor or, like, indie or smaller studio game cracked the top three. That's, that's, that's for true. sure. If, if we look at our history, in 2009, we had two... I guess kind of indie games or non-traditional AAA games in our top ten. We had Plants vs Zombies and Flower. Yeah, but the rest that, were all traditional AAA fare. I think uh, I can't remember. I think Popcat may have been acquired already by EA at that point. No, definitely not. Oh, okay, they weren't it was around then, but they weren't acquired until maybe it's 2011. I don't know. Does it? Regardless, yeah, <laughs> we had a couple like Flower made number nine, which I thought was. In hindsight, if we were making this list based on like the shared understanding of what we're trying to recognize now, I think Flower would have placed a lot higher. And my little darling from that year, the Beatles rock band, probably wouldn't have been number three. Mm, but, probably not. Uh, probably not. But yeah, well, it would have been on the list maybe. I still think it's really cool. But uh, the kind of it, it it wasn't transformative to games in the way that Flower was, with like literally no. No verbal communication whatsoever, and it still tells a pretty compelling story. Yep. And there's but a then reason the... that Journey took our number one spot. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a mea culpa. But also, Journey was fucking great. Yeah. But from it was 2010, much the crescendo of what that game company had been trying to do with yep. that like Sony trilogy of Flow, Flower, and Journey. Yep. In, in 2010, we only had a couple of games. We had Super Meat Boy at four and Minecraft at two, and but the rest of it was also kind of red-blooded AAA fare. <laughs> we could talk. We we could do a separate podcast on our biggest regrets, both putting games in and keeping games out of the top ten. But there's a couple in there that are. Whew, why did we do that? So I'm hesitant to kind of like speak for the entire culture or audience of games as a whole, but I think that we've seen this kind of sea change over the years, and I think Minecraft was an early sign of that. In where smaller studio games, indie games, quote unquote, are getting bigger and bigger, not in terms of like necessarily like development size and budgets, even though they probably are, but also just in the, in the terms of like the kind of experience they're delivering and the kind of polish they have. And meanwhile, like with the HD becoming more and more of a necessity in terms of AAA development, expenses are rising significantly and publishers and developers for triple a games are getting more and more conservative with what they're putting out like yeah look at what watchdogs was originally pitched as versus what finally came out like when i first saw watchdogs as like this was like the first next gen game that was really shown it looked gorgeous it was massive and it was more about using your cell phone to fight the system rather than pulling out your gun and when it finally comes out, it's a cross-gen game. Graphics had been significantly compromised to do so. And 
your cell phone was more of an accessory and less the actual focus of the way you interacted with the world. Yep. So this is kind of what we're getting at here is that we're just not excited about AAA games the way we used to be. We're still very excited to play some of these games. I cannot personally wait to play Far Cry 4 or Assassin's Creed Unity, but I'm not expecting anything new. I'm expecting yeah. different versions of things I've already played. I'm ex- expecting newer versions or something I've played with different trappings to it, with different styles. But mm-hmm. I think... I think what's interesting with the, the specific series you mentioned, which is also indicative of like why we're less excited about all these big franchises like Call of Duty and uh, it's and so on and so forth, is that um, both those series, Far Cry and Assassin's Creed, kind of had their rough starts and then like their kind of renaissance moment. No pun intended with Assassin's Creed, Boo. where they really you know kind of nailed what they were going for with the first game. They really realized it and delivered a, a really kind of compelling experience. That yeah, it was familiar. Yeah, it clearly built upon what was there before. But it felt like it was it was widely accepted that these kind of felt like they achieved what they'd first set out to do. Like Far Cry 3 is kind of commonly seen to be that for the Far Cry series. And then Assassin's Creed 2, possibly Brotherhood, or just the whole Ezio trilogy if you want to look at it like that. But I'd say 2 was the moment where it was like, cool, this is what an Assassin's Creed game could be. And since then, it, with that specific series, I would argue, it really hasn't developed in the same with the same sort of um, consistency, certainly. And there hasn't been that big step forward for that kind of game since either. This is part of the reason that I'm always kind of critical when people want to say, like, games are art. It's like, yeah, games can be art, and games can be artistic, but you can't just make a sweeping generalization and say games are art. Because if games were art, then people that make games like Assassin's Creed, they do what they want to do, they tell the story they want to tell, and then they move on. They wouldn't still be making Assassin's Creed game. Desmond's dead. Where are they going with the Assassin's vs. Templar story? Is there anything ongoing? Is there any dangling threads that we're really curious about? Does I, anyone even care about what happens in modern day's uh, universe of Assassin's Creed in terms of the Templars versus Assassins? The last game was about a fucking development studio. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think the problem with saying like that line of questioning about whether games are art or not is. It, look at the parallel with movies like people don't say movies aren't art but or you know movies aren't art because Michael Bay still makes sequels every year but just because movies can be art doesn't mean that every movie is art exactly well my my take on it is is that yeah they're art but these are just pulp this is lower common denominator stuff that doesn't it means it has some artistic merit but it's not very much well i think artistic merit versus this is art or this is a medium for art right kind of different things you could say like you know my beer glass has a awesome illustration on it and that is a nice piece of art on my otherwise rudimentary functional device and like with games it's it's obviously art is subjective there's we're never going to have a good discussion if we try and get into like the but is art question but like i think there's a very i think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone saying yes this this like definitive game of the year edition of Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag is the most artistic Assassin's Creed game or like this is you know because like games are a business too and you you can't like those two things are always going to be at odds with each other and I don't know I think the problem is the business side of things happening right now and as you've said like 
games have gotten bigger, the bets on games have gotten bigger. They need to be more conservative with the, with what they consider to put out and put that much money into. They need to get their return on investment, even if it's 0.5%, you know? They, it, so it they can't all like be a, risky. It isn't all business either. Like It's also just having to put some sort of emphasis on making your game enjoyable to play. Uh, yeah. I, I heard a podcast question from Idle Thumbs where they were talking about the use of games in sort of like a research or historical perspective, like mm-hmm. using the possibility of a total war game in a history class. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that with any sort of historical game, you are cutting corners, you are making shortcuts, you are cheating history by making your game fun to play. Because yeah, there has to be a balance between the the source material and then also just how how it is to actually manipulate and use this game. And to be fair, movies do the exact same thing. Movies are not all documentaries, but we don't really have the documentary equivalent in video games. Right. And you can't no one should ever look at Assassin's Creed Unity and say this is an accurate presentation of the French Revolution. Like that's probably not going to be the case. I think Do you think it's acceptable mm-hmm. for games that kind of get at least reproduce the themes of what they're trying to talk about to be kind of like those authentic experiences. Like I'm thinking of cart life or uh, papers, please in terms of like representing while it's not factual, while they're made up scenarios and stuff like they, they tell a relevant real world story. Thematically, they probably come the closest. Mm -hmm. I would also argue about certain racing games and other titles like that, that are more based off of real life, but the framework they put into like, you're not racing in all of them, actual races, and it's not to the exact historical accuracy of those races, but they're recreating the the vehicles and the environments to as close a specification as they can. And you're also held back by other limitations, like the right. whole licensing agreement, agreement with car companies and like which cars can be damaged and to what extent they can be damaged yes. and how it affects their performance. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, well, if also, were actually but... accurate, like you would not be able yeah. to run into your opponent going like, 120 miles an hour and still be able to finish the race and yeah but it, like yeah there's still that balance between what's what's completely 100 percent accurate and what's fun yeah i guess what's it's what i just realized now is like we're kind of talking about the difference between documentary or like non-fiction historical account versus recreation and really all games are recreation on some level so like the equivalent would be like okay well maybe assassin's creed uh three wasn't very good at well anything but especially at like <laughs> accurately recreating the uh tensions and ideologies that led up to the american revolution but let's look at like you know what's what's an, a real world corollary to that and like you have civil war reenactments for that war and like i feel like you know you look at that you look at like society for creative anachronism and you realize that there's a very slippery slope between like authentic historical reproduction for educational purposes and people who latch onto themes or ideas or you know visuals from a certain era or a certain like mythos and just go fucking crazy with it. If you really want to look at like the movie equivalent of a historical video game, I would point to like Inglorious Bastards more than like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And Especially that last scene. Yeah. Part of the thing I'm thinking about in terms of like the whole uh, war of attrition between gameplay and your message, like, another game that will probably come up during our Game of the Year talks, I'm not sure if this will make our list, I know Aaron and I both played it, is Infamous Second Son. 
And they made a big deal out of the whole uh, inspiration of the WTO riots in Seattle and the idea of a police state. It is not handled with a very deft touch. Like, I totally <laughs> see what they are trying to achieve and what message they are trying to send. I just don't think they send it very well or very delicately. It doesn't resonate with me in any sort of way. It's a fun game. And it's an interesting world they've made, especially as someone who lived in Seattle for several years. But it's not an accurate representation of Seattle. It's not an accurate representation of a police state. Like, it's just a fun game playing as a guy with superpowers. So I'm really curious about this because, like, I, I remember hearing about the WTO riots back when that was a thing. But um, what is it about the game's execution that feels off to you like this is it this maybe afraid to confront controversial like real world if not like historical events at least real world scenarios or is it well if the this game has just... always been a very black and white game you're either very very good or you're very very bad you you don't occupy that middle ground and they try to kind of like shoehorn in this like oh the bad guy had good motivations at the very end of the game but it's still like, yeah, but at no point in the game is anyone ever talking to you about your motivations. You're just saying, but I had good reasons! And that's the end. Like, there's no... No one ever bothers to dip into that. Like, what are... There's no alternative solutions ever. It's either good choice or bad choice. And honestly, for someone who's experienced the things that Delson Rowe has and the way he's approaching the the world and the story, he's just having way too much fun. Like people mm. are dying, there are real world consequences for what he's doing, and he's out there having a blast, like tagging walls with like pictures of cartoon animals or whatever. Yeah. I feel like that cognitive dissonance, um, or what's commonly called ludo narrative dissonance, has been a big problem in AAA games, so it becomes more and more clear as well maybe as we play more games but also like as games start to kind of in the AAA side try to get a little more close to reality they get a little more ambitious ever so slightly with the kind of i think that's uh, why we gave the last of us as much attention as we did yeah because in a lot of ways the last of us is a better version of what uncharted has been doing in terms of the actual gameplay the shooting the cover that sort of thing but there was always kind of a problem of that Nathan Drake is this kind of affable, like, roguish-type fellow who is murdering hundreds and hundreds of his fellow humans. Well, it was and... it was a tangent. It was a real bug I had last year in not just Nathan Drake, but in uh, the new Tomb Raider and in Bioshock Infinite. Like, you are one person in the cutscenes, and then you are another person entirely for the gameplay portions of that game. And Last of Us did a maybe not excellent job, but it did a good, if not admirable job of marrying those two ideas in that mm -hmm. Joel is portrayed after the time skip at the beginning of the game as someone who has seen some shit, done some shit, and has just learned to live with himself. Like, he does not have any sympathy for the people he is killing anymore. It's just like, this is what I do to survive in this world. And so at no point during the game, going through another room and strangling a bunch of dudes and hitting dudes in the face with a brick, did I feel like this is not the, who I am? Like I, I just kind of resigned myself. Like no, this is straight up who Joel is, and he will do whatever it takes and murder whoever it takes to accomplish his goals. Yeah, 
it also helps and succeeds that some of the enemies are inhuman creatures. That definitely helps things out and well, kind of keeps the body count about down. The, like fighting other humans, like right. Yeah, you can have a zombie game where you're murdering scores of zombies until you're blue in the face, but yeah. it's not going to leave any sort of emotional reaction on someone. In that world, aren't we all inhuman creatures? Jesus Boom. But yeah, no, it's... no, they're just assholes. But yeah, I. I wonder, though, if we're going to, five years, ten years from now, look back on The Last of Us and feel like it was that, like, like it holds up. Like, maybe even that will seem kind of silly. Because, like, I'm playing through the remastered version on my PS4 right now, and you kill a lot of, like, cogent, uninfected humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't, you, you kind of have to, in most cases. Not all, but, um, it's, I don't know. I feel like... I was just I thinking know. the other day, like, what an interesting Easter egg it might be if you had a shooter that had an optional button to sheathe your weapon. And let's say this, the start of the game is you're holding your weapon, and if you walk into a facility with guys with weapons and they see you with a with, with weapon, they're going to immediately start shooting. But say you start the game and you immediately sheathe your weapon. What say you just walk through that entire game without a single person firing a shot at you? Because you never appear to be a threat. Like, maybe it wouldn't be a very fun game if you played it that way. Maybe it would be a great shooter that just had, like, a small Easter egg. It's like, hey, you just want to breeze through this game and get, like, a weird, like, kind of half-assed ending that we made. Don't shoot anybody. I feel like there's a, a good dozen art games that can be made with that concept. Well, I, I think that's also... it. That even touches on, like, the... um like the alien space janitorial game that came out last year on oh, space Steam. clean or viscera cleanup detail or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Like making fun of the fact that somebody's got to clean up all this nonsense left behind by the space Marine dude who came in and murdered everything. Yep. But they actually made that game kind of fun is <laughs> amazing. In a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's still, the concept is I think more interesting than the game itself. I, and yeah, I'm looking yeah, at Far Cry fun. 4 with the, the kind of the same expectations. Like people have asked me, like, oh, like Far Cry 3, like Brody was kind of a piece of shit, huh? And I was like, yeah, but I literally never paid any mind to what kind of person Brody was or why he was doing what he was doing. Like for me, Far Cry was just like, you're gonna have a blast, like playing through this island, like killing animals and capturing bases and stuff, like. The motivations were a non-issue to me, and I am looking at four in the exact same way. It's just like, okay, they're they're giving me an interested, interesting Himalayan environment. What I'm doing there and why I'm doing these things is irrelevant to my interest in Far Cry. I guess that's where I run into some like internal conflicts because, well, you're you know, we I think we talked about this on one podcast, but um, when you take players of a game that's marketed heavily to a western audience and you say here's a playground in some exotic land like whether it's in the south pacific or um you know in the himalayas as it is now and like i feel like you know sending a i don't know it's 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 always interesting to me because like i enjoyed far cry 3 because i was able to shut off my you know exposure to the story because i i realized about halfway through that brody's character was never going to go anywhere there was never going to be any sort of profound statement about 
his, you know... There is straight up a moment in Far Cry 3 where you look at your bloody hands, and I I can't give you an exact quote, but it is definitely something along the lines of, what have I become? (laughs) So yeah, our games are, uh, don't ask me today, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. I yeah, mean, it's, am I overthinking this? Or, no, you know? there's there's definitely some kind of 21st century orient, orientalism going on with a game like that, where it sets the white man to be the savior in a world like that. And that's deliberately why these games are not set in real countries. Like yep. uh, the I, I I forget the name of the country in Far Cry Four. I think it's like cr- Cricket or something, but it is not a real place. And any, they, they're going to give you that disclaimer at the very beginning of the game. The games always give you any similarities to persons or places real and existing are co- completely coincidental. That's a lie. It's totally on purpose. Yeah, it, it makes me feel really kind of weird, that sort of thing as well, because like, okay, you're giving it a fictional title or a fictional place, but it's got all the trappings of something else real. It's like, yo, straight up, Far Cry 4 is in Tibet. Like, they're never going to call it Tibet. Like, no one at Ubisoft in PR or marketing will ever say, our game's in Tibet. But, you know what? I bet if you went to the offices of, what is it, the Montreal Studios? I bet you see a shitload of pictures of Tibet. And I I bet... bet Look at the file names. Yeah. And I bet if you check passports, I'm sure people went to Tibet. Yep. That's... It means... Yeah. So maybe... So I guess, like... Let, let's say that Far Cry 4 ends up delivering a, an unexpected and kind of thought-provoking commentary about games that, you know, take real-world kind of conflicted, impoverished places and give, you know, middle-class people kind of a, a fun, safe playground to go wreak havoc in them. Like, let's say it manages to actually be self-aware like that. Is that something that would affect like how we perceive it for game of the year, or do we is this do we want games to be doing that? Like what what's where are we at with this? I would say one hundred percent yes. I want games to be doing that. Okay, good. I, I think that we would be good, especially combined with uh, with the fact that Far Cry Four is expected to be very good in terms of the other side of being a game, in terms of the gameplay and the controls and what you can do. I think that's an ultimate marriage is having something unique and something new and and something thoughtful to be discussed from a kind of story and from what does it mean but also to have really good gameplay partnered together with it what i'm looking for from AAA games is just some level of self-awareness that you are not the first and you are not the last yeah and that is kind of the discussions that go into our games is like what are are they demonstrating any knowledge of the fact that you are a video game doing a very video game thing in a very video gamey place? Uh, another game I've told you guys will probably come up in our discussions is The Walking Dead Season 2. And we yep. had a lot of discussion of The Walking Dead Season 1 in terms of like what kind of game it is and what it tries to achieve. And we had very positive reactions to the game, but we just felt that it wasn't doing enough new or it wasn't doing enough with its story and the choices to really validate it as our number one choice. For season one? For season one, yes. But with season two, there is a level of self-awareness in terms of like how they make their games and how the the confinement of the choices you're making in the seasons of uh, Telltale games and what kind of consequences those choices really can have. 
that their other games, especially their other recent games, just haven't had. It definitely takes into account what kind of person you are in the game in terms of, like, you're a tiny girl. And the kind of world that you're living in, the kind of con- choices that you're making. So that's the kind of self-awareness I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, like, fourth wall breaking Sunset Overdrive. Like, hey, you're in a video game. Of course you're going to win. No, I'm talking about, like, <laughs> you know that this is how your game works. So you are building around those limitations. And you are not yeah. just, like, we're not just doing the same thing again with a new story or new characters or whatever. Yeah. I think and, that's why the Stanley Parable mm-hmm. placed so high last year for us. Mm-hmm. It's a game basically about that. Yes. Also, Which also term, broke the fourth wall, but yeah. yeah. In but terms not of season in a, like, two, chintzy, like obnoxious way, but in a, like I'm actually going to think about how I'm playing this game now. Yeah, that's true. In terms and, of season two, it's no surprise that they like your player character is now a little girl and they're leaning on her. And there's some times where it's really strange where they're like, I don't know, little girl, what do you think everybody should do? And to their benefit, there's a couple of dialogues later in the game where there's one that's basically like an option that you can say as Clementine is, we're all adults here, we're fine, and and all the other characters will respond by going, really? We're all adults <laughs> here? And then also there's there's other times where they acknowledge that you are a tw- like a young girl, but they, they justify understanding or following your your lead by saying well she survived so long she's done this 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 and this and and referring to your laundry list of stuff and your laundry list of achievements surviving as clementine so and there are also plenty of moments where someone's just like i don't care who you are what you think you're a tiny girl yeah that's good like as someone who hasn't played the game it's good to hear that and so the game is aware of who you are. I mean, I was you know, in those Telltale games, yeah. like there are the two kinds of choices. There are the choices that matter to you thematically and story-wise, and there are the choices that actually matter in terms of the branches you're taking along that path. Sure. So there are there are plenty of choices that have the so and so will remember this, but at the same time, there's plenty of choices that play no factor at all in terms of the the own storytelling that's going on in your head. Totally. And when you make those choices, someone might respond with like, okay, that's what you think, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it more, like with some distance since season two, since finishing it, like it's, it's it was nice to see all that change. It was, I think I was too worried about it living up to the expectations of season one and not taking it on its own account. When I, I went into it with very tepid expectations because I was nervous about how they would handle playing a small girl. And I was apprehensive about playing another Telltale game just because, like, I did enjoy Season 1 a lot, but I played uh, uh, The Wolf Among Us was already, like, an episode or two deep at that point, and it was also, yeah. like, just another Telltale adventure game. So, so, so maybe having two Telltale games at one time was a little bit too much. Well, it just... They ended up switching roles in terms of the way I was reacting, whereas I reacted very strongly to Wolf Among Us at first... It kind of cooled down as the episodes went on, whereas Walking Dead just kind of kept amping things up in terms of both the actual story playing out and the way it was being told. Mm-hmm. I will have to play that. Before yes, we yes, yeah, probably should. And and, and for our and argument, please. like it's very debatable right now what whether or not you'd consider uh, Walking Dead to be a AAA game. Like by all accounts, Telltale is a much larger studio now than when they uh, released the first Walking Dead, and so. I would say their production values are rising accordingly. 
I'm yeah. very interested to see what like the Game of Thrones and Borderlands games end up looking at and any future announcements they may have. Yeah, me too. Um, I feel like, are, are there any big AAA games we failed to mention? I know there are for sure, but um, what else are we looking at for even discussion for Game of the Year this year? Because we have Call of Duty, which I think I want to at least see if it's good. Dragon Age. Yeah, Dragon Age could be a big deal. Um, I know Aaron's hoping against hope that that game puts that series back on track. Uh, Bayonetta 2, I think, is one of those games that is going to come up. Uh, I'm going to play it. And it's certainly one of the highest rated games right now. So, if nothing else, it seems like it's going to probably appear on a number of lists. Whether it belongs on ours is another story. Because, again, it's a sequel to a game that was already quite good at what it did. Mm -hmm. So, um... Halo 5 Beta. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think also we're missing out on a portion of things, which is talking about Nintendo's games and whether they're like, like we've, I've brought that up in other times, just pitching out ideas for potential things that can make our list. And it's like, it's another blank. It's another Mario Kart. It's another Smash Brothers. It's really good. They will absolutely come up though. I mean, yeah, you've played enough Smash Brothers and I've, I played a shitload of Melee, some Brawl. And when I'm talking about self-awareness, I'm not just talking about the story. Yeah. And Smash Brothers plays like a game that they are aware of their audience and how they are reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And they have made changes to what Smash Brothers is, how it plays, based on who their audience is, what they want, and how to f- attract a new audience. Yeah. Like Smash Brothers for 3DS and presumably the Wii, since it's my understanding they're mostly the same game, it seems like they are growing. They are making changes, and it is a advancement in yep. Smash Brothers that I maybe have not seen in a lot of other AAA games this year. Well, just the simple fact that you can play any stage has a Final Destination version. Like, that's a small, s- smart tweak by the developers to acknowledge, like, the very high-level people didn't want to be playing on the, the levels that look like roller coasters. And yep. let's be honest, it's no small feat to get Nintendo to back down from the idea that these are toys for children. Yeah. Like, this is one of the handful of Nintendo games that exist that I would think acknowledges yeah. the fact that adults play our games. And I adults mean, like, want to play our games in adult ways. And take not, it very seriously. And remember, less than two years ago, Nintendo told Evo to yank Smash off of its stream yep. because it didn't have permission to broadcast it or something crazy. So. Yep. To have gone from that to fully, you know, in a lot of ways, starting to finally embrace and acknowledge the fighting game community, uh, it is kind of a landmark thing for Nintendo. They yes. are releasing an adapter for GameCube controllers. They're and releasing they are... fucking GameCube controllers. And like, brand, new, brand ones. new ones. Which is... Those aren't made by Nintendo, are they? The yeah. molds came from there. It's I'm a third-party sure. company, but the, the... it's oh, just okay. because Nintendo didn't want to do it themselves. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the original hardware, like, is what I'm hearing, like, in terms of all the parts... Yeah, it's built the same way. Nick, what do you think about uh, Mario Kart? Does it demonstrate any of that kind of growth that we're talking about? It's hard for me to say because I fell off the Mario Kart wagon after um, the pretty much the GBA one. I played everyone since a little bit, but I didn't own any of them. Uh, I mean, I, I thought Double Dash was weird and cool. I thought the DS one was fine. I thought the 3DS one was fine. I thought the Wii one was awful, um, but that's fine for some people. Because <laughs> um, it's really dumb. Uh, I think Mario Kart 8 is a really fun game. I played a lot of Mario Kart 8. I played a lot of it online, which I wasn't expecting. 
I guess for me, it surprised me in a lot of ways because I did get into like higher level play. I got into like I want to get all the gold tr- mo- you know trophies for all these different difficulties and. But it is still very much a Mario Kart game. It just feels like Nintendo... The way that Nintendo... So Nintendo, I think... I criticize them a lot for being very conservative with a lot of things. But they know when to show restraint on certain things as well. And that's the strength of the company. It's a big part of why they've been around for so long, probably. And the ways that Mario Kart 8 shows restraint... It really highlights how few ways they really tried to push it forward. But the ways that they did... Like the beautiful graphics, the video sharing feature, limited as it is, is still very fun. All that kind of stuff. Like, I think that those little changes make it stand out. So, I hesitate to say it should be on our top ten, but it will absolutely be discussed. It's, it's, um... I think it might... To provide, like, a... a, Go ahead, Doug. It might earn a place in the discussion just based off of LuigiStare.gif. Oh, that was not worth me letting you go ahead. Sorry. No. Uh, just to kind of like provide a counterpoint to it in terms of our Nintendo discussion, I think Pikmin 3 is kind of the opposite. I think it's kind of like what we were talking about with other AAA games, whereas Pikmin 3 is a more beautiful uh, version of Pikmin with some new Pikmin in it, and it plays like a Pikmin game. And so I would be surprised to see Pikmin 3 in our top 10. I love me some Pikmin. Pikmin 2 is easily one of my favorite GameCube games, but... Pikmin 3, from what, granted, what limited I've played of it, it just seems like they were very much like playing it safe. Like, we're trying to appease the Pikmin fans and just putting out an HD game because our console needs some freaking HD games. Did that come out year, this year? Was that the last summer? Year. I, thought I thought it was, it was early this year. Really? I thought we uh, discussed it for last year. Oh, then I am really sorry, man. I guess we uh, were okay. both going on bad derails. No. <laughs> that's part of the podcast. Um, yeah, it came yeah. out last year. It came out 2013. Whoops. Yeah, it's All a right. very good Pikmin game. You should play it. You would like it a lot, but I don't think it's Game of the Year material. Mm. Wow. But I don't think Pokemon XY was either. You know, it's it's all at some point we're going to see different things in terms of like what do we what do you think is really landmark? What is a big accomplishment? What is a really good game? And those differences are important, I think. I feel like I should play Fantasy Life. Yeah, everything I'm reading says don't, but <laughs> I'd like to have a guinea pig, so... I, I know someone over here that caught that bug really hardcore, hmm. but he is the kind of person that is very obsessive about games and the way he plays them. Like, he is the target de- demographic for a monster hunter. Okay. And I am not... So, so if you're like into just grinding the shit out of really long, deep games, you might find something to do there. But a lot of you might find you... a fucking treasure trove of things to do in there. Yeah, it's the same people probably who really got into like Disgaea and all those Nipponichi, um Oh god, games. Yeah, yeah. not for me. <laughs> uh, so I guess to wrap this up, unless you guys have any other talking points, I wanted to ask, um, just. For the sake of gambling, uh, what do you think is going to be the game of the year this year? Hearthstone. Hmm. I think it's going to be another situation where no one has any definitive champion to put up, so it's just going to be a consensus where it's just like, we all played this game, we all enjoyed this game, 
this game does enough new things and does it in very interesting ways presented well that it just makes the most sense to have as our number one game. I know that sounds kind of cynical for something that's supposed to be enthusiastic as game of the year, but it seems like kind of a cynical year. Yeah, yeah it I, is. Like I mentioned earlier, there's nothing that really pops above the, the five or six level immediately, so I, I don't know if it's Hearthstone, but I can definitely see a... WWE Supercard. No, I'm not even no. that dumb. <laughs> no, I, please I, God, I, no. <laughs> I, I know what I can do, I know my limits, and that's not part of them. But I... I can see that sort of situation taking place where something becomes just the best from consensus versus really like grabbing everybody's attention. Like, yep, this is it. Whereas instead of like, eh, this is the best we can do. And maybe that's just the nature of these consensus based things. Who knows? That's part of it, but also this is just a down year. This is just a different year. It's a transition year. It's a weird year. And also on the record, none of this is set in stone. This is going to be a discussion amongst the, the five of us. And we still have more than a month's worth of releases to discuss. Yeah. So we, we are have to catch up on too. I don't know about yep. you guys, but I am certainly open to any of these AAA games coming out in November to just completely floor me with uh, what they have to offer. I don't think that's going to happen, but I've always been kind of a, I would say realist. Some people might say pessimistic. That's fair. Yeah, I, th- uh, I think we all want something to really stand out from the crowd. It's just hard to see where it comes from at this moment. I mean, if Assassin's Creed Unity manages to recapture whatever made AC2 so, like, freaking indescribably amazing to me... That'd be incredible. Yeah, I yeah. would probably compromise my morals to get this game in the number one spot, because I want that experience back so badly. Not really, but I, I would love to see that game get that series back to where it belongs. But uh, and it's possible, you know, Far Cry 4 could actually be the game that nails the story in addition to the crazy over-the-top combat. These things are all possible. Call, uh, Call of Spacey could be the game that puts Kevin Spacey on the map. <laughs> Finally! Cause, like, Kevin Spacey and, gets his. And, yeah. Um, who knows? Uh, I I guess, if I had to guess right now, since Hearthstone's already been mentioned, I think, I think that is the safest consensus. Although I think... You and I, Ty, are the, the biggest proponents for that game right now. Really? I'm not sure if anyone okay. else really liked it. That's too bad. Um, yeah, I think it's excellent in terms of its design and flow. But Blizzard um, has a knack for uh, matchmaking and balance and presentation that uh, other developers, I think, could probably only dream of. Yeah. I'd also be willing to bend the rules and put Reaper up there. Yeah. What? Oh, the Diablo, Diablo? Reaper right. of Souls. Diablo 3 oh, Reaper, of Soul, Reaper of Souls. Yeah, I think, I think you'd get both of us on board for that. Yeah, Absolutely. it's expansion, though. It wouldn't count. But it's so good. But um, now it's ultimately evil. Yeah. Uh, if I had to guess this point, I would... Um, Dark Horse, Dark Souls 2. Oof. Are you planning on playing that before Game of the Year? I'm still kind of going back and forth on it. I mean, I I might just skip the Dark Souls series entirely and just get on the Bloodborne train when it comes out next year. I mean, that will probably be a better game. The little bit I played was very I, I, Demon Soulsy. I played some Dark Souls. I got really into Demon Souls, but for whatever reason, like what changes they made to uh, the original Dark Souls just didn't really interest me as much. Mm. And I hear they brought some of the Demon Soulsy stuff back for it too. But yeah, I don't know. I it, 
it's probably the game I enjoyed the most this year, but I don't know if that's enough because I think that Dark Souls was a more important game to me. And so. it definitely feels like talking to some of the people I know over here that were massive Dark Souls 1's fans. Like, Dark Souls 2 satisfies a certain itch for them, but it doesn't replace it and it doesn't do it better. Yeah, I think the best way I could describe it is like, Dark Souls, well, Demon Souls was like this just stroke of genius, like this really kind of obscure, demanding, but just brilliant thing. Dark Souls was that, but refined for a lot of people, and like kind of like the like the, the AC2 to that game is Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And then um, Dark Souls 2 is like, let's make this approachable and palatable, and a little bit more friendly. So it's and, Brotherhood? Yeah, it's Brotherhood. <laughs> And, you know, some will argue that Brotherhood's the best game. I think AC2 was the, the big landmark turning point for that series. So, um, But I also think that Assassin's Creed gets a lot of shit that it doesn't deserve. And same with Demon's Souls. Well, I think that would be a fun parallel because at the same time, we, we, we saw the potential in Assassin's Creed. And then Assassin's Creed 2, we didn't have enough people who played through it at the time to go, yeah, this is a good game. And so we ended up giving a spot on the top 10 to Brotherhood in its loo. Yeah. Hmm. We have a pretty high spot to it, actually, didn't we? I believe so. Yeah, number seven. Above Halo Reach. Yeah. That seems okay. Not to split hairs, but I, I would probably disagree with your analogy in terms of, like, the leap in design and gameplay between demons and dark and matching AC 1 and 2. Hmm. I think okay. I think that there's a fervor around Dark Souls that didn't exist for Dark Souls 2 because I, I've never played any of those games, but just for whatever reason, the, the combination of things just wasn't as right. And so that makes me skeptical of giving a, a sort of that, that position to Dark Souls 2 in the lieu of Dark Souls 1. I would I'd be curious to hear what you think, Tyler, if you got like 10 hours into Dark Souls, which is not a lot of time to put in a Souls game. But I definitely like, got 10 hours into Dark Souls 1. Oh, you did? Okay. I, th- I thought you said you only got to the Gargoyles or something. but I did, but I spent a lot of time in those areas. Okay. I mean, the first areas always take the longest in those games, too. Um, and I, I don't know. like a good like, 30, 40 hours in the Demons, I think. Yeah, that sounds about right. I probably put about 25 into it. Definitely not one of those crazy people that was like trying to play through it more than once and like flip the alignments of the different areas and everything like i i will never be the kind of person that puts that kind of dedication into those games for better or for worse it's fair i can certainly respect what they're trying to do and the kind of person that really enjoys that experience though okay um one last question just for fun okay if you if what game do you think is the best game of the year the actual best game of the year oh god That's an impossible question for me. Like, I, I really enjoyed playing through Shadows of Mordor. I would not consider it to be the best game of the year, just because so much about it does just seem like kind of like by the numbers, but what that game did with the Nemesis system is just like, it just makes sense in a way that I'm just like, how has no one done anything like this before? And I, why, do we not immediately see like everyone just like stealing that idea? I mean, granted, the game just came out, but I really hope we see it in games coming out next year or at least in 2016. 
I would be tempted to say Reaper of Souls because, you know, I, oh, I played yeah. Diablo 2 before. Uh, t- Tyler's played even more Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls than I have. But I, I played Super a bit of Diablo 2. I I had Diablo 3 at launch. I had it on my computer. I was ready to get into it and it just never grabbed me. But Reaper of Souls, like, I've gotten all the way through now into Act 5 and I want to go through another character as well. So I, I, I'm kind of at an impasse as to what we can do with that for Game of the Year. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a lifelong Diablo fan. I will argue, I will, I will spew lies to defend that series, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> but uh, I, I could definitely see us reconsidering uh, our rules there. Um, I think the best game of the year is Towerfall Ascension. I don't expect anyone to agree with me on that, but as someone who's played a lot of fighting games, brawl games, local multiplayer games my whole life, and always loved that genre. I feel like that is it is like the perfect distillation of what makes playing a game with other people fun. I, I watched I totally a bunch of yeah. It's just that game suffers so much from like it is a game that works around its limitations, but it is a game that I cannot get behind because of its limitations. Because what? I never find myself in a position to have that local multiplayer experience unless I like go out of my way to set it up. And yeah. I am not at that age anymore that I'm scheduling play dates to play multiplayer games in my apartment. It's also a, fun- a function of the fact that we're in Japan and that, therefore, being in an apartment means tiny, tiny place and not enough couch space for that sort of multiplayer. Right. I I have a nice size apartment and I have a big couch now and I could have people over, but it's still just people. I'm an adult. I'm busy. I have a job. Other people are busy. They have jobs. When I hang out with my friends, I'm not, like, just chilling in my apartment. Like, I'm out doing things. And that is not at home playing video games. That's fair. Yeah. I If you guys inexplicably find yourself in that situation, I have a feeling you'll have a lot of fun with it. I, I watched a bunch sure. of it for Extra Life streams last weekend. I was watching, you know, Giant Bomb and other places were playing different games for Extra Life, the Extra Life charity. <laughs> and watching that be played, it looked hilariously fun. And I watched diff- two different groups play par- through part of it. And they had different rule sets on. It's like, okay, that's cool the way that there are different like options to do. And it, it looks really, really well designed, both from the graphics and from the gameplay. And it looks really fast and fun. And it looks really addictive. It's something that I would love if I was in college right now. But like Tyler said, I'm not. And there's no, no chance in hell anybody's coming to hang over at my house to play that right now. Oh, God, no. <laughs> but... It- no matter what anyone that is enthusiastic about games or games journalism, quote unquote, uh, wants to think about, like objectivity or anything, like, yeah, this is going to be a very passionate, subjective discussion about our own opinions. Yep. And it, that kind of game, similar to like MOBAs, like I've tried Dota, I tried League, and I actually played a good amount of the original Defense of the Ancients mod for Warcraft 3. Mm-hmm. But I I can't I can't do that genre any justice. And you could release a game in this year, then told me that this is the best MOBA game to ever exist, and I would believe you. But I probably couldn't get into it, and I probably wouldn't put it up as game of the year because I'm yeah. just not that audience. I am not in a position to enjoy that game in the same way that someone that is enthusiastic about it is. And I think well, even. That's fine. Falls in the same way. 
and and even if we agree on the title, it could be for very different reasons too. Tyler really got into the mechanics of playing through Last of Us. I really loved the story, so yep. he he played it on a higher difficulty. I played it on easy because I wanted to keep going and I didn't want to get stuck on the puzzles that were the the rooms he had to get through and the zombies he had to get through at certain times. Sure, and that's 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 fair. I mean, like we are all bringing hopefully unique experiences to the table. Otherwise, this list is going to be. Very boring. Yep. And I mean, 2014 is already going to give us a good challenge in that regard. So, um, I think we'll be fine. I'm I'm more confident now, actually, talking through this than I was even after we've talked about it before. Like, I, I can see a little bit of stratification starting to happen. So that's good. Yeah. Nick, what about PT? Do you think PT would be eligible for nomination? Yeah. I mean, I actually think it would because it's a standalone, complete experience that is not a demo. Mm-hmm. It's technically. A playable teaser. It is a playable teaser, but I mean, how long is it? Like, I mean, we've it took about an hour for me to finish it. It's pretty substantial, th- but that, I mean, a lot of that was me like, cowering in fear. That, I would like, say you could spend an equal amount of time playing PT that you play Gone Home. Yeah, I, I would say you could fair. you could have an equal amount of time playing PT as you could Journey, and those are yep. those are two of two of our last those are our last two games of the year so oh man i'm definitely if we're talking about PT playtime in our, yeah in our nominations then i think pete did you play through pt yes what'd you think i didn't like it a lot <laughs> yeah i'm it's so weird but it's oh, so creepy it's great it's excellent like i haven't i haven't played a i don't i, I can't tell if it's just i missed playing horror games or it does something just really spectacularly unexpected i think it's a little bit of both it scratches a very particular kind of itch for me because, like, I do love horror, and I do like survival horror, but when those get too close to each other, I stop having a good time because I just get frustrated, and you end up doing the same thing over and over, and it stops being scary. Yep. PT does not have an emphasis on survival. It right. is uh. entirely an emphasis on the mood, the feeling of the environment you're in, and it executes on that masterfully. Yep. You're not worried about herbs and keys? No. You can you can get booted out of the game, but you can resume back from where you were, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's short enough to where it doesn't feel super repetitive. That's like good. At, at a certain point in Resident Evil games, nothing seems all that frightening or intimidating anymore. I mean, let's be fair. In PT, you are literally walking down the same hallway over and over for about an hour. So it is repetitive in that sense, but the genius isn't how it doesn't how they, make it feel boring. Yeah, not like it is, a very, keep... it is a very self-aware game because of yeah. that. Because they want you to become comfortable with that environment, so that when it jun- does change, you react Bam. to it. Yep. Yeah, profoundly. Like a single light changing color, or what used to be a left turn being a right, or something like that. It's just anyway. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't played it, but yeah, I think it absolutely should be on our list. I'm going to add it to our uh, document right now, actually. Awesome. And that would be really yeah. funny if a free game with no microtransactions or pay model whatsoever <laughs> winning our game of the year. Also, a game you play explicitly to unlock a trailer for another game yikes. was our game of the year. Also, I'm thinking more and more that I need to get onto Far Cry when it comes out, and also I need to be able be ready to push for Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls to get onto our list. Woo! Changes. Turn and face the strange. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that will do it for today. Uh, good discussion. 
I hope yes. we uh, I hope we see some good surprises before the year's out. You never know. Um, but I have a feeling that it's just been a weird year, and that happens sometimes when the industry is in flux, and uh, you know sometimes the stars just align in certain ways. Twenty thirteen was a really cool year in a lot of ways. Uh, twenty twelve as well. Twenty fifteen looks like it's going to be just absurdly packed with good stuff. So uh, let's let's just enjoy this for what it is, and maybe we'll walk away with something really interesting on our list. Yay. Yay. Right. right for that. Thanks, guys. We'll be back with more soon. Silicon Sasquatch is an independent blog covering the social and cultural significance of games based in Portland, Oregon. Our five team members are Doug Bonham, Nick Cummings, Tyler Martin, Aaron Thayer, and Spencer Tordoff. This episode of the Squatchcast was produced by Nick Cummings. We publish new essays, editorials, analyses, and everything in between all the time at siliconsasquatch.com. Follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash siliconsasquatch, or on Twitter, where we are at Sasquatch Gaming. If you enjoyed our show, please tell your friends and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode.